Nice to meet you. I see some familiar faces, but not that many, I have to say. So let me introduce myself. Patty Kolodejczyk, very nicely done. My maiden name was Lang, so that was a nice <laughs> Tried to get him to take my last name, but clearly that didn't work. Um, I am uh, relatively new to the Indianapolis area. I moved here about three and a half years ago. Nothing like moving, and six months later, a pandemic hits. Um, so coming out of that now, uh, relocated from Connecticut in the Hartford area. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with CNO Financial, uh, we are a mid-size insurance carrier right here in Carmel, um, serving middle America. And I came from Connecticut, and prior to coming here, I was with Travelers and the Hartford. So uh, I've been around the block with insurance, right? Uh, this may be the racing capital of the world, but Hartford, Connecticut is known as the insurance capital. It was really exciting, huh? Um, so that's a little bit about me. I moved here, as I said, with my uh, husband and two high school age kids. But one of the things I really want to also tell you about myself is I didn't start my career. In fact, when I was younger, I never even expected to be in management or leadership. Um, I went to school for engineering. I was hands-on developer, architect, tech lead. Um, that's what I was planning to do with my career. And I'd say about 10 years into it, I got to a place where it wasn't really hard. Um, building technology solutions just started becoming easy. It wasn't the hard part. Um, I think everyone in this room, if you've been a leader, knows the hard part is people, processes, leadership, governance, and I decided I wanted to shift and do the hard stuff. Not that, don't tell my teams that I say that's the harder stuff, but. Um, so I switched uh, about 15 years ago, my roughly now, into a leadership role, and I've been really excited going there and helping teams achieve more than they thought they could. Let's see if this works. Okay, when, uh, when Doug reached out to me and asked if I would present, I said, what would this group want to hear about? So I feel really fortunate that I'm helping to kick off 2023. This is the first session in 2023. And what's relevant to leaders in the first part of the year? Goals and objectives, right? So I think a lot of you, much like myself, are probably thinking about what are we going to accomplish this year? And 2023 is pretty different. I, in October, I was at the uh, Gartner Symposium co uh, Convention. I don't know if any of you have been to that, but it was over 8,000 folks attended, um, CIOs and senior leaders. And I was really surprised. It was really a different hum, a different theme than I'd heard in the past. We still had the normal, you need artificial intelligence and forward-looking and strategy roadmaps. But almost every presentation and every networking discussion talked about these three things. Persistent high inflation, it's a reality for us in 2023. Scarce, expensive talent. Um, we've seen a lot of attrition, I don't know about you, and even when we don't see the attrition, just hiring those open roles that we do have are costly, it takes a while. Um, and global supply chain challenges. We're, we're moving our data centers and we're doing other things with our bank, our fields and so forth, and we're really feeling the pain. So 23 feels to me quite a bit different than the past few years. And that means our goals have to be a little different. Um, we've got to set some lofty expectations. We've got to move the ball. We as leaders need to get our teams excited about being in the roles they're in because it's hard when we have to replace them. So that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. I'm a storyteller. So I'm going to tell you some of the principles I've kind of developed over my career. And then I'm going to tell you stories about each one. That's how I stop. So, um, how many of you have heard or used SMART goals, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, uh, relevant, and time-bound? This isn't that. Um, 
lofty goals. I like lofty goals, right? I think that it gets people excited about accomplishing things. It drives an innovative way of thinking. Uh, it'll help folks maximize their potential. In a recent Leadership IQ survey, it said, uh, I think they surveyed about 400 companies, and the folks said that only 15% of people felt like that their goals and objectives would help them do great things. And even less, 13% of people said they strongly agreed that the goals and objectives were gonna maximize their personal potential. Um, I don't know about you, I don't get jazzed to go to work and say, I'm gonna be mediocre today, I'm wicked excited. Um, and I don't want a team that's excited about coming to work to be mediocre either. So I think part of what our job as leaders is to help set that vision of lofty goals to get people excited about coming to work. We want our folks to stay with our companies, all the great people, we want them. And they want to be at a place where they feel good about being there. And so lofty goals are part of how we get there. So let me tell you a story. Um, let me set the stage for you. I'm in a large company. Um, we are well, fairly far along in our agile transformation journey, but let me be honest, we still have a lot of waterfall in our environment. And we have a release process. I'm in, I'm in charge of release management at the time. And so when we develop our code and our, pro, our application teams and our delivery teams are working on agile delivery, they'll spend three months on a PI. Very common, right? And at the end of their three-month PI, they're ready to do all that fast, nimble work and put it into our production environment for our customers. And our process said, now let's go to system testing for six weeks. That let's do user accepting testing for six weeks. And now it's six months later before we released it. Doesn't feel really good, does it? So we've spent three months developing software and the teams feel like they're done and then our rest of our processes is another three months before we get the business value. So this wasn't gonna work, right? No, nobody's happy about that. So what we said, what are we gonna do for goals and objectives? I'm talking to my leadership team, and you know how many people have said, my goal is to reduce it by 10% or 20%, right? Those are really good goals. That's what people say and that's what people do. And, and that's not thought of as an easy objective. But 10%, that can make a lick of difference. Ooh, I'm going to production in five and a half months or five months, but I finished the software development in three, right? So. The team and I were talking about, well, what do we want? What, what is the objective? Um, so how about 50%? Why not? Right, let's set a lofty goal. And before this goal, the, the things that people were talking about were so small in nature, right? Um, maybe we can do things to automate more, or we can have um, a better test data management platform right, and, and of course that's not cheap, right, let's introduce something there and all these experts to ex set up this application, well, let's build another more automation. But we changed the conversation dramatically when we said it's 50%. We had to think differently, right, because that's a whole different league of accomplishment. And we were in a meeting and we're brainstorming and of course everyone's like, how are we gonna do this? Um, and someone goes, Patty, don't you realize that we would have to like not even do one of those whole things? Cause look, to cut that in half, we'd have to stop doing one of those. Oh my God, we're gonna stop doing one of those, right? That's what we decided. We said for our agile teams, they're already doing this testing in there. It's not the old waterfall way where we'll pass it forward to the next user group. Um, and so that's what we did. 
So we, we end up having one test environment and we, we optimize the things we were doing, right? And we didn't repeat the things that the Agile teams had already tested. We had one test environment and we really, we reduced our duration of our release process by 50%. And you know what else? It didn't cost anything. It didn't cost money to, to hire folks to do a bunch of additional automation that we to close gaps. It didn't mean we bought a new platform and implemented it. It meant that we did change management. We did process engineering, right? And so I can't even tell you how proud the team was at the end. And while we were doing some of the hard change management and getting, we kept saying, you know what you're gonna do today? You're gonna, you're gonna reduce it by 50% and folks would get excited and that's how we got there. So not only do we do the hard stuff, folks felt really good about themselves. They didn't come to work to be mediocre. So that's one of my stories about how we transform the release process with a lofty goal. And if we hadn't set that lofty goal, it would have been like a 10% reduction, right? So that's my first guiding principle. My next one is focus on outcomes. So now there's some CNO folks here and I see them smirking already going, God, if she talks about outcomes one more time, I'm gonna kill myself. No, I, do. Um, I do all the time. I'll be randomly in a meeting and say, and what's the outcome and what are we after, right? Um, we wanna make sure we don't lose sight of what we're achieving. You hear the age old, ad, age old adage, outcomes over output. I think when you think about it, a lot of times we'll have objectives and they'll have a really good intention and they'll we'll know what they're about and then we break it down and we'll build roadmaps, okay? And the roadmaps are the activities needed to achieve that outcome or that vision, but we often then start focusing on the roadmaps. We start forgetting about the outcome. Um, let me give you a for example of what not to do, right? Um, I'm going to sunset application X so I can drive down costs, fewer things to manage, right? And then you're marching towards sunsetting that application. But how many times have you said I've sunset that application only to find out it's on a shared server and you're not actually getting that same? The last time you've been there too. Doesn't it stink, right? And you're so proud of yourself. I've got a, I know another one where um, we implemented a bunch of automation and I said, okay, we're gonna implement this automation. We're removing human tasks. It's gonna drive down our costs with our sourcing partners. We got it all done. We went to go save that money and what happens? Oh, my contract says I pay by the server, not by the activity or the work units. Didn't get the outcome, right? So you need to keep that check in balance and keep yourself honest around what's the outcome you're trying to achieve at all times and not just focusing on those activities. And it should be part of your everyday conversations. So let me tell you another story. Okay. Um, similar situation where we've got a lot of activities going on. Um, we've moved the ball as an organization. We've really got fewer platforms. That's what everybody wants, right? I'm gonna rationalize my application portfolio I'm gonna have a few key applications, but what folks don't always remember is your level of concurrent development on those few strategic platforms goes up, right? So you have a lot of activities, a lot of teams, all coding against the same code base on the same application. And now when we have release points, we gotta bring it all together, okay? So at the time, I'm accountable for a DevOps team. We do all the code management, we do the deployments and with the releases, and again, two weeks just to merge code. I'm embarrassed saying that out loud, frankly, right? Two weeks, so you think about it. If I have a production date 
and I'm putting out four different teams work in that release. That's eight weeks, two months, super embarrassing. Um, so we said we knew we had to move the ball and, and the team, you know, we said, we're gonna look at our process. As you can see, we mapped it out. We had to create the new code base branch. We'll use the automated code tool to, to do our merges and they can merge a lot of those thing, conflicts um, automated without. And then we've got to do humans doing manual code uh, conflict resolution for the remainder of them. So I said, we got to fix this, right? Uh, we're the transformation team. We make things better. We're fast. We're going to do this. And my team said, okay, so what we can do is um, we can upgrade the server that SVN's on, and, and we're going to make this, this automated thing run really fast. I'm like thinking to myself, okay, so if it goes 30% faster, that's great, right? Okay, so I think I cleared off that. I'm not moving the needle on my two-week merge. What's going to take a day off, right? Um, what's going to take four days off of my month-long activity? Uh, they said, well, we could go to a different tool that does that faster, too. But nobody was talking about this, right? This is the biggest part. It took the most time. It took developers away from writing code because they're doing code conflict. So we needed, so I'm, I'm going to domino my, my objectives here. We needed a lofty goal and one that was gonna drive the right outcomes. Those were great ideas, those roadmaps that, that folks were suggesting, but they weren't hitting the outcome we needed. So we made another lofty goal, why not, right? Um, we're that team. Um, and so we said, we're gonna reduce the manual code conflict resolution time by 90%. Because that's the bulk of it, that's how we're gonna move the needle. And so again, it drove creative thinking, doing things differently and so forth. Um, anyone ever hear of continuous integration, right? So it was, it was hard because we weren't the team of developers. We were the team that was accountable for all the code management when we the code. And having to influence and say, I know code merges right now are hard for you and therefore you avoid them, which makes more conflicts, which makes it harder to resolve which may pulls you away from your development to do your code conflict resolution, we're gonna have you integrate all the time. By integrating all the time, there were very few conflicts, even with say four teams working at the same code base at the same time, because they made the changes often, right? And so we did a pilot, because everyone thought that's never going to work. It's another one of Patty's crazy ideas, it's never gonna work, but we did. We did, started with small teams, and we hit it. Right, because it could handle when you were merging the code frequently, there weren't conflicts, and we did. We reduced it by 90%. But the reason where I'm going with this story is the fact that everyone kept thinking about activities they could understand and, and things like, let's, let's fix our tool. Um, but that really wasn't gonna achieve the outcome we wanted, which was the level of speed. So that's another story I've got for you there. Uh, my third guiding principle I call it is making sure that the goals really are connecting to a purpose. So people really understand, your team understands why they're doing things and it's influencing their day-to-day decision-making and their behaviors. Um, it's so that when you show up at work, it's something you can wrap your head around and that you're going ahead and doing these things and living every day. And so one of the things that, that I find a lot of times is while an organization can create goals and objectives that feel like 
good ones, um, and when you're sitting, you're drawing out the beginning of the year. If you think about when your team shows up for work every day, does it drive the different behaviors? Does it change the way they do things or think about things? And I think that's how you really make a big difference. So let me tell you another story. And did you know if you had an application that's supposed to be up 24 by seven and it was down for half a business day, you still had 83% availability that day? If that happened three times in the same week, three days out of your five business days, you, you were down for half the day, you have still have 93% availability. And if that application is part of a well-performing portfolio of about 500 applications, your average availability for your portfolio is 99.99%. Yay, we are awesome, aren't we? Um, I don't know about where you work, but if I, my system was down half the business day for three consecutive business days, nobody's celebrating. This actually happened to me. It was pretty horrible. Um, I had accountability for our non-production environments at the time and their availability. I'll, I'll call it Project Atlas, right? So we had a project, a big project. It was the CEO's pet project. It's trying to go to production and the environments keep going down for testing. And, it, that, and I'm having to explain why the development team's meeting their objectives and we're gonna miss our dates. And I got sideswiped, I'm walking the floor, we were off 99.9% .9 availability, our screens are green, our status updates are green. And literally our team is going to be the reason why this major multi-million dollar program's not gonna be able to go, to, go live. It was a really tough holiday season that year. Uh, I think I read over a thousand tickets myself personally, just to make sure I was comfortable with all the information. Um, but it said we had to figure out how to have different goals, not ones that say our portfolio is gonna be 99.99% available because uh, that wasn't gonna meet the business need. So I said to the team, what are we gonna do, right? What, what should our goal be? How can we set a vision for the new year that's gonna make sure folks are waking up and doing the right thing, driving the right behaviors every day when they show up for work? And it's a team I've worked with now and they kind of know my style around outcome-based, lofty goals. And they said, Patty, how about if we try to ensure any outage that impacts uh, it's Project Atlas is resolved within two hours? I'm going, I read the data. That's never going to happen. I'm trying to think of it. I'm not saying it. I'm like, there's no way. I've sat on the triage calls. That is so far. And I like lofty, but that is still so far but they said they could do it, right? Um, so we signed up for it. Uh, so we said we were going to resolve any outages infecting Project Atlas within two hours. And I saw a completely different behavioral pattern. On triage calls, folks are going, we're 30 minutes in. Who does that? It was like there was a clock, right? Um, Every week at the staff meeting, we're talking about it. We're talking about how many incidents there were, right? And you might say, well, gee, if you solve a lot of them, it's so problematic. But the team knew they had to deeply understand what was going on to be able to respond within two hours. They were reading the tickets. They were looking for the patterns. They were looking at the history. They were getting ready. They started thinking much more preventative to make sure it didn't happen because they knew those were lofty goals. 
Within three months, we had accomplished it. Every month, it was going better. I couldn't believe it. I actually was like, let me see the data. I wasn't even sure, right? Um, but they did. They exceeded my expectations, which, frankly, are pretty high. Um, and they did because they felt like they could, the goal resonated with them. The goal drove a behavior in everyday activities. Um, gentlemen in the back, I remember you talked about what do you do with the offshore teams in recognition? You know what I did with it? Because the offshore team signed up for this too. I hand wrote them thank you notes on my way back from India. When I went back a year later, they were so thumbtacked up. I knew they killed themselves trying to hit this goal, right? They were excited about it. They worked super hard. And a simple thank you note made a giant difference. So that was one of the stories there where it, it just made a difference with respect to making sure the goals were worded in such a way it could drive behaviors, people could connect with it, and they saw value. So I just want to share with you a little bit. We've got 2023 goals and objectives starting now. Um, we've got a talent and a workforce that has options, and we want to make sure they're at a place where they feel passionate about what they're accomplishing they feel good, they're happy to be here, um, and we're accomplishing great things. It's a year with a lot of financial pressures for many of us. Um, we have to move the ball in bigger, better ways, and we've got to make sure we get those outcomes. So I hope this motivated you a little bit in some of the stories of my career, and go forth, set some lofty goals, focus on outcomes, and connect with purpose. Thank you. Thank you.